0: Hello, my name's Celia. I'm just an ordinary woman. Well, next thing you know, I'll have an app and an ear tunnel. I'm, I'm being Celia, of course, I won't have either of those things. In today's episode, we're at the fair. We meet William from William the Fourth by Richmond Crompton, and we hear about Battersea Fun Fair with Michael Kemp. We also have a lovely advertisement from Martin Austwick. It's going to be also talking about compromises that you need to make uh, in your relationship when you've been living together for a long time. And you have to live in gentle harmony. I do hope you enjoy today's episode. Oh, welcome to our podcast. It's going to be such fun with talks, reviews and interviews and japes for everyone. Celia, what's going on? Oh, Fred, please stop your queries. I'm doing another episode of this, our second series. A second series, eh? What luck. Did we make any money? Oh, Fred, that's not how podcasts work. The very notion's funny. Listen Listen to to our our podcast if if you're you're not indisposed. We tried tried to use the the library, but it was was blooming closed. closed. Let's begin. One of the jolly things that happens in the Richmond Crompton William books quite often is mistaken identity. And I was reminded of an escapade that happened to me a couple of years ago. And I thought I'd tell you all about it. I'm going to read to you from my da. I've had a tremendously splendid week. Nothing special happened, which is just the way I like it. Fred got a whole book of crossword puzzles last Christmas, so he's been very busy. Katie's quite grown up now. She's a boarder. We'll have her back for the summer holes and she'll be getting into all sorts of scrapes, no doubt. Well, just like me when I was her age. Well, just like me now. Just like me last Thursday. Fred? What? Billy has asked if he can go to the fair for his birthday. I know it's rotten, but it was bound to happen. They've been in town for nearly a month. It's only a matter of time before Billy noticed. It's all right. I'm taking Billy, and Penelope Pendergast is bringing Neville and Alan, on condition that we pay for all the rides. Oh, very well. Now, don't fuss. We'll wear them out and be back in time for the birthday tea. Sorry, what's that? Sounds like money for old rope to me. Well, your mother once took you to a gaming arcade, so I wouldn't be too quick to judge. What? Oh, sorry, Fred. I didn't mean to snap. I've just run out of brown tapestry wool in the middle of a doily so my nerves are a bit shot. Come on, Billy. Goodbye, Fred. Um, and by the way, hands off the lemon drizzle until we get back and don't try and rearrange it. I've counted the slices. I aim to please. Billy and I arrived at the station on time and Penelope Pendergast was nowhere to be seen. Billy stood on the platform looking quite the little man in his new long trousers and I called Penelope from the cafe telephone. Sorry, darling, I've come down with a nasty flu. The boys will be there soon, with Uncle Bob. Uncle Bob? He sounds fun. We'll get well soon, Benny. Goodbye. I placed the handset on the top rest of the phone post and almost immediately I felt a tap on my shoulder. Hello, Neville and Alan have found Billy on the platform. Uncle Bob? <laughs> yes, I'm not really their uncle, I do their garden. Well, it's very kind of you to accompany us, Uncle Bob. Thank you. And laughing for no apparent reason, we all boarded the train. Neville and Alan were delightful little boys, who Billy liked very much. They all steamed up the window in the carriage and wrote backwards on the glass, all aboard for a tanner. Bob had bought a picnic. We all ended up being very silly, tying the check napkins around our necks like chimney sweeps and singing. I got a splinter in my finger from the wicker hamper, and we all watched as Bob removed it with my hat pin. It was very professional, as though Bob were hand-pollinating one of his rose bushes. Unfortunately, he lost the hat pin and joked that maybe it was trapped inside my finger and that he'd forgotten to remove it. <laughs> Everyone laughed and we all had a mint. Soon the train pulled into Massingham and from the station we could see the fair. The boys were very excited and ran on ahead. I didn't notice at the time, but Bob fell back and walked with me. Perhaps he sensed my apprehension. It's really very safe, you know, he said. The ride operators are very well trained and have been in attendance for generations. Really? I don't understand. No, it's very simple. The family business is handed down to the eldest son. He is then instructed in a sort of, uh, training day? Yes, or apprenticeship. And what is a roller coaster? Is it that merry-go-round of teacups? No, it's over there. It's a sort of highway in the sky. Of course it is. I'm sorry, I was trying to be intelligent. How does it work? Well, the crook shanks and spindle grafts are basic mechanisms, oiled and cleaned, so the steel rods run smoothly and operate the pistons. Pistons? Yes. I'm sorry, but you've lost me completely. Do you know how to thread a sewing machine? Of course I do. But well, it's about half as complicated as that. And we laughed and laughed at how silly I am. <laughs> the fair. Oh, how wrong I'd been. You see, I'd never been to a fair before, but we were made to feel most welcome, I thought it would be full of scroungers and dodgers. It was quite civilised. And Bob was the perfect gentleman, accompanying me on all sorts of silly rides. First he took me on the ghost train, which wasn't scary at all. Then he won me a tin bucket on the coconut and When his coconut whacked into my bucket, straw flew up and landed in my hair. <laughs> How we laughed, gaily and with abandon. I even went on the waltzer and screamed with delight from start to finish. I won hundreds of pennies on the hooker duck Bob said I was a first-class hooker and put all my winnings in my hat. He said I looked as though I were busking. I thought, well, maybe to you, we don't have buskers and vagabonds in my local area. But I didn't say anything. Then Bob bought a great big candy floss and let me share his stick. I couldn't have handled it alone; it was gigantic. Everything was going swimmingly until I leaned over a lurid plywood wall, which served to protect us from being run over by the dodgems, and my skirt caught a nail. There was a heart-stoppingly awful renting sound and for a terrible moment I imagined fleshing my petticoat hem. And then Bob saved the day. Allow me. With his weather-beaten face and massive hands, Bob freed me with minimal fuss. I felt dizzy and confused. I dreaded arriving at a rogue's fairground with a commoner called Bob. Might have been mistaken for workers and ended up taking tickets on the gate or whipping up toffee apples in a sort of pagan frenzy and getting generally carried away. But although he was only a gardener, I felt safe with Bob. He was so strong and capable like Buffalo Bill or Stuart Broad. If one of the rides were to go wrong, he'd surely up and save the day. Whereas Fred was baffled by the curtain pole. And suddenly I knew. I didn't want to be matching my bag to my shoes anymore. I didn't want to go back. I couldn't go back. The fairground music grew louder and louder, and we began to whirl about. Bob, let's join the fair. Yes, we can go far away together and travel about. You'll set up the strongman tent in Penge, While coins dangle from your ears. I'll be barefoot and riding a horse. I'll take up tambourine. We'll eat chips from a carton. And you can wear a latticework blouse. Oh, Bob, even though you're only a gardener, I'm sure I could fit in. I expect you'd like to see me like one of your beloved garden statues, wouldn't you, with no clothes on? I wouldn't, you know. I'm sorry? I mean, I'm not a gardener. I do my neighbours' dahlias as a hobby. I'm a surgeon. And then I was standing in a field... "'The boys were running towards us. "'I couldn't be sure of how silly I'd been. "'It was hard to catch anything of that over the blasted music. "'What were you saying? Something about running away with a fair?' "'So I dug myself out of it by telling a little fib. "'Yes, an ancestor. "'There's very many blood on my mother's side. "'Her grandfather wore blue shoes, they say.' "'How awful.' "'Yes, I disapprove entirely.' "'And we headed for the train.' with the three boys on Bob's board shoulders. What a fool I'd been. We were worlds apart. There's nothing carefree about surgery. And I quite like blue shoes. And the train pulled away from the fairground field. Clowns and harlequins were spinning around in my mind, laughing and mocking, their faces getting bigger and then fading away and getting smaller and then looming back in and getting bigger again and then going out and getting smaller. Fred was dancing about, drinking straight from a bottle and me nearby operating the popcorn machine in a tasseled bra. So sordid, so base, and so out of my depth while Bob sauntered about in his doctor's suit brandishing a Mont Blanc. When I arrived home, Fred gave Billy a torch for his birthday and said it made his face light up. How was it, old girl? Did you like the waltzer? Not really, Fred but it was billy's special day and i had no excuse to back out before i set off i knew i should have to get on the big wheel and lie back and think of england and did you yes fred yes for a while there i believed the shouts of the common man that the louder i screamed the faster i'd go but i'm back now they can find you a book for your girlfriend Your husband, your girl or your boy And if you've got a need for an uplifting read Justine and Jonathan can pick out a book you'll enjoy What a book at the bookseller crow on the hill What a book, what a book At the bookseller crow on the hill But you can order online. You're listening to Wife on Earth with me, Celia Jesson. And now we're going to be having a look at our book today, which is William the Fourth by Richmond Crompton. So I'm going to read a little extract to you now. This is from William All the Time. He's very bored, as usual, and looking around. He's walking down the road. He's dreaming of the pantomime season, that's right, and how much he would love to be one of the animals. And then at that point, he stumbles across um, a man in the woods who comes out and says, would you like to come and be a bear for a bit? He looked at William from his muddy boots to his untidy head. Then he reversed the operation and looked from his untidy head to his muddy boots. Then he scratched his head. Seems a bit on the big side for the middle one, he said. At this point a hullabaloo arose from behind the shed, and a small bear appeared howling loudly. He took in my bit of toffee, yelled the bear in a very human voice. Oh shut up, said the man in his shirt sleeves. The small bear was followed by a large bear protesting loudly. I gave him half money, he promised to give me half an ears and he tried to eat it all and oh shut up, replied the man. Then he turned to William. All you gotta do, he said, is to fix on the middle bear's suit and do exactly what you're told and I'll give you five shillings at the end, see? These rural places are a beautiful chinge, muttered Goldilocks' mother, darkening her eyebrows as she spoke. So calm and quiet. And I must say, if you're reading this book to a child, they really do love hearing a character saying, oh, shut up, in an angry voice, because they're not allowed to these days, are they? And now it's time to hear from Michael Kemp and his memories of Battersea Funfair, in particular the Guinness Clock. Michael last went to Battersea Funfair in the early 1970s for his honeymoon and he tells me that the Tunnel of Love and the Water Chute featured in an episode of the television series The Prisoner and the episode was entitled The Girl Who Was Death. Over to Michael. On leaving the magic cave, it appeared that you were about to walk straight into the cascade of a waterfall, crashing down on you from rocks high above. But in fact, there was an invisible detour which would lead you, safe and dry, around to a strange and wonderful contraption that was the Guinness Clock. Crowds would gather to watch dancing toucans, ornate doors opening and closing, fishes appearing from within other fishes, golden-smiling suns in hexagonal roofs that turned into helicopters, the revolving signs of the zodiac and town criers with bells and whistles. You're listening to Wife on Earth. Now, married or not, everyone has annoying habits or their own little idiosyncrasies. So over the years, in a relationship, one has to learn the value of compromise. And Fred and I have a number of compromises that we've agreed on over the years, and I thought I'd share a few of them with you. But Fred only smokes his pipe in the garden, and I keep the volume down when I'm listening to The Archers. Fred puts the recycling out every other Tuesday, and I do all the cooking. Fred remembers to put the toilet seat down, and I don't talk to any men. And that concludes today's episode of Wife on Earth Podcast. We've had great fun bringing it to you. And if you enjoyed our advert, which was by Martin Austwick, for the beautiful bookseller Crow, on the hill bookshop in crystal palace it really is a treat to visit there a lot of my best books are from that bookshop if you'd like to record your own advert for your favorite local bookshop or business please send your voice recording to wife on at gmail.com feel free to add your own music uh, or we're happy to add music for you at this end with center part in martin and his a uh, collection of mandolins and electric guitars and we'd be very delighted to receive them in time for series three which is um, coming soon This episode was written by Joanna Neary and Joseph Nixon and performed by Joanna Neary with Martin Austrick, Alistair Kerr and Michael Kemp with music by Martin Austrick, Pad McLean and Head Love. This was a Wife on Earth production for Cosmic Shambles Network.